0: All right. Well, right off the bat, I've got two apologies to make. One, I'm, uh, I'm in Chicago, which I have seen why it's called the Windy City. I've spotted two of those uh, uh, inside out umbrellas on the street, you know, where like it blows out and it goes the wrong way. I've taken pictures of them. So I'm going to start a new uh, garbage umbrellas of Chicago series in Instagram when we're done with this, too. You know, I saw that uh, that our professor friend here in Chicago he uh, he took a great picture of all of his students having laptops. And I know I'm always saying next time I'm in Chicago, I'm going to see if I can arrange meeting up with him or coming to his class, which which I'm not doing on this trip. So uh, a promise for me is worth as much as a fucked up umbrella on the sidewalk. That's, uh, that's pretty much <laughs> what you got going on there. So sorry about so, that. That's my fault. Oh, I, I, and then the, the second apology was uh, I was actually on vacation uh, or holiday, as they say, over on the other side of the Atlantic in Ireland with my family. It was great. We went to all the Ireland's. I, You know, we, we, we rolled into uh, into Dublin. We didn't yeah. roll into, we came to Dublin and you have to go through passport control. And listen, listen, let me have one of my characteristic, uh, I'm an American digressions, Europe, figure it the fuck out with the Schengen thing, right? Like why do I have to use passports everywhere? I understand with London, they're like trying to figure out, I don't really know what a Brexit is or why that's happening. I don't understand any of that. All the coverage is basically this tactical stuff that never actually gets to the point of saying why it's happening or what motivations are. It's very confusing. So I get it. If I'm going to go to the United Kingdom, sure, whatever. But I mean, Ireland's part of the EU. They accept euros. I feel, I mean, and you know, I mean, just parenthetically, I know all the the the, uh, the legalistic things and stuff. I read all this, like why it is. But like, I feel like if I'm using euros to buy shit, I should not have to go through passport control. <laughs> That's just how I feel. If you accept and use euros, do not like make me go through some border. So we we're going through the border, I'm talking to a very nice um, passport control person. And he was asking where we were going. And we're saying like, oh, we're, we're uh, you know, we're flew here. We're going to go up north through Londonderry. And he, this is great. This is like a Republic of Ireland thing. He was like, hmm, what, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? And and we were like Londonderry? and he's like, oh oh, you, you mean dairy? And we were like, whoa, I'm sorry. I mean, he was he was being jokey about it, but he was like, yeah, just just be careful. Some people want to call it dairy, as it's correctly known, and some people will call it London dairy. because so, London dairy, uh, of course, is in North Ireland. So the whole time, I'm like, I got to make sure not to fuck this up, right? Because you know, yeah. you never say you never say you're going to Ireland on vacation. You've got to basically be like North Ireland and Ireland. Right. And just like be very cool about it. Like just like just you can't even, you know, maybe if you didn't speak the language, it would be cool. So anyways, we went to vacation there and uh, I I packed one of my boxes that I have these two boxes. that are like these to me hardcover boxes I got when I was flying business class somewhere. And um, one of them has like some cables in it that I never use. And the other one has my whole remote podcasting microphone setup thing. And as you can tell by the audio quality, I picked the wrong one. So that's that's my <laughs> second apology is I'm using my my air, my air buds, air pods. I don't know what they're called, but but that's what I, I've got going here. But Chicago's uh very nice. If if you, um, you know, if you're like, you know, what kind of weather I would like is the weather that Amsterdam and London has, but colder and uh, that's that's sort of what's going on here in Chicago at the moment which,
1: so which is uh, are, are are you there for uh, one of the big conferences happening this week? No, is there one in Chicago <laughs> not right? It's like there's there's you know there's DevOps Days Ghent uh-huh. there's uh DevOps Enterprise Summit there's mm-hmm. Lisa 19 <clears throat> there's some sort of open source summit yes. um and which one are you at? I <laughs> uh, I'm I'm at the I'm at the
0: 2019 pivotal developer advocate team meeting and uh you know uh convenient customer meeting that i had as well but i i don't wow. know i think those, i think those are both invite only uh conferences was <laughs> well, it is it like uh, a non-conference
2: does everyone like bring their own uh, agenda that'd be nice it'd be good to have a team meeting that way full-on uh community style
0: that would that would be fun if you if you constructed the agenda at the beginning with post-it notes and things like that yeah. and you know my favorite yeah. part of, of uh not that this relates at all to my team meeting, uh, but my favorite part of an unconference is I don't go to the sessions. I, I enjoy <laughs> that
1: part. Well, I was, I was about to say you can just you can just downvote all the sessions you do want. Yes, yeah, so uh-huh. like, we're perfect. we're not going to talk about that. You're like, but this is business. I don't care. Let's but, talk about. But this does this does
0: raise a point that I I wanted to be the first nominal topic that I ask you about. Now it's not it's not sales kickoff time of year yet, right? Like I think we'll have our annual. Review of that come December or January. You know how what a sale, an annual sales kickoff is like. How to survive and thrive in it. Things like that. But I'm we probably have, but I don't think we've discussed the annual team meeting recently. And so, I I would like to ask both of you for your your thoughts on strategically succeeding. You can define that however you want, whether it's at an individual level, at a company level, at a team level. What I'm going into a team meeting, right? Like here I am. I, um, I'm, I've, I I've learned to distinguish between London dairy and Dairy, and I, I've even learned that that everyone calls it London Dairy Dairy, and someone was a genius and they started calling it Stroke City because you would say London dairy, Stroke <laughs> Dairy. So I know about Stroke City. I'm cool. And then I'm flying in. I arrive Sunday around three p.m. There's a team dinner at seven. What's my playbook, Matt Ray? What am I going to do for the next two days?
1: Ah, uh, ooh. Um, well, first off, uh, usually I'm I'm going to have to get there a little bit early to to offset whatever sort of crazy jet lag is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and that's what I say going in. I'm like, you know, I'm going to get to my hotel, I'm going to get a good night rest, and then you know, I'm checking in and I see all my uh, my coworkers on the other side of the planet at the bar. And I end up, you know, not getting that good night's sleep, and it pretty much sets the tone for the rest of the week. <laughs> Ooh. I feel like well, you, you've described the
0: career that I've had between ages 36 and right now. I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, so there's definitely a lot of plans of like, oh, I'm gonna do this right, I'm gonna buckle down, you know, I'm gonna each night I'm going to go back to my room and, and, you know, call the family and catch up on all the emails you missed because you're paying attention in the meetings. And then the week just continues to slide. And then you find yourself like, you know, at the airport on the way home, you're like, wow, I've got, uh, five hours of email to do ahead of me because nothing, (laughs) but, uh, but you know, it's, it's generally, um, a good opportunity to to catch up with uh, all the folks that I, I don't get to see year round, and uh, always Absolutely. a lot of new faces you
0: know? but 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 I got I see this Matt right you've been around the uh, the world uh, as the song goes like what is literally if if you were if you were the one like managing the team meeting, what is it you're going to put on the agenda? What is the outcomes you're looking for like what's what are people leaving that meeting thinking and having felt and and doing? Like what's going on there?
1: Well, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna start it with kind of a, like a, a recap of the previous year, right? I mean, this is like you know your your QBR on steroids. You know, mm. you're gonna say like, here's what happened. Uh, I guess QBR times four. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, here's what happened, and you know, here are the the big themes for the next year. What are what are the things that are stopping us from you know doing better? Because you know. Even if you had a great year, you can always do better or, uh, stopping, you know, the things that we're doing wrong. Um, and then, you know, you, you need to have all a good cross pollination with all the other teams. So they, they're aware of kind of what your plans are. I think if I was doing it, I like, usually it starts with like everybody together, all hands the first you know day or two, and then you kind of split off into your, you know, your d- different business units. I'd like to actually have people come back together. Um, mm. Yeah, our our our, uh, so so chef has what we call rally, uh, and it's the first second week of uh, January, so the whole you know people fly in from all over the world, and uh, oh, this is like a
0: company meeting, not a team meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, team meetings are a lot more fractured. Um, Well. I, I, I don't get invited to all of them because <laughs> it's usually it's like, you know, usually it's like, Oh, well, you know, it's going to cost, you know, what's the most central place. And they're like, how about St. Louis? You know, how about, you know, Denver yeah, and like, yeah. all right, you know, travel for the team is going to be like, oh, it's going to cost about, you know, 16 grand to get everybody there. And then I'm like, Hey, it's going to cost me eight grand. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, can you call in? I'm like, no, I'm good. Just, uh, yeah, go ahead. That I, I've, ultimately... been, I've been
0: looking for an excuse to take that new Qantas 20 hour flight. What is that? Sydney or <laughs> New York yeah. or something? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, it, but yeah. I think
2: like, Matt, like, isn't this like embedded in that question? Cause I agree. Travel is always like the, one of the travel costs is always like the number one thing people are talking about, but it always does implicitly raise the question of like, wait a minute. Like, what is the value of actually someone attending the team meeting? Which of course raises the question, what is the value of the team meeting, right? So, like, if you really sit down and thought about it, and be like, okay, well, just because I can bring together these people, because, of course, the travel is probably a very small amount of the actual cost when you think about right. the salaries and people being there. Uh, but I, I think it's like a, it's like a, a door people don't want to open. Like, like, hey, we're all going to get together, and it costs a lot of money. Like, like, what would we, like, how would we take a step? Like, how would we guess at, like, What's the value being created here, right? Because I think that's the moment where everything just sort of falls down, right? But I think it's an interesting question to look at it through the lens of travel. Like, whoa, $8,000 is crazy. But not if you're getting like a $50,000 return on it, or maybe you're getting no return. Maybe you're getting a $500 Mm -hmm. return. Therefore, no one should go, right? (laughs) So I I, I like the idea of just... so many of the IT projects we talk about, right, are all about optimization, reducing IT costs, blah blah blah. You know, and you're always trying to quantify your business outcome before you do the project. Um, yeah. But like the team meeting seems to to just kind of fly under the radar, if you will. Like doesn't it doesn't uh, that type of analysis is more like how much budget do we have and can we get everyone together? That seems to be the analysis.
0: So so yeah. I, I think I, I think two points. One total footnote, parenthetical. I, in in my uh, my uh, my bonus customer meeting on this event, someone asked about finance, and and I and I, I tried to I, I attempted to give an answer I've been thinking about recently, which is like the problem with ROI calculations on IP spend is no one ever gives you what the top line revenue target is. They're basically just like it should be cheap. Like to your point, Brandon, you're like, well, if this flight costs eight thousand dollars, that seems expensive, but if it generates us. And I'm doing air quotes here. Fifty thousand dollars of value, then it's a good deal. But like you know, in IT budgeting, people very rarely tell you that fifty thousand dollar figure. They're just like, I don't know, eight thousand dollars seems like a lot, which I think is right. a, a a problem with doing uh, IT business cases. However, point number two, this moves us to the next person in the panel, Brandon. I come in Sunday night. I land at three p.m. There's a team dinner at a wonderful sushi place at seven p.m. We've got a day and a half of, of uh, you know, basically a day and a half of team meeting going on on a Monday and a Tuesday. What's my strategy? What am I going to do? What am I? What am I going to look forward to? What am? I, what should I contribute? What can I expect at the end?
2: Yeah, well, I think I mean I think you break this into like your personal and your professional objectives. For me, like you start with like who are the people you haven't seen that you're, if you will, friends at work, your your close network that you want to, you know, get a chance to maybe break off, have some drinks with, have like, you know, kind of a smaller dinner, you know, kind of, if you will, re-engage and make sure those strong relationships, you know, continue to maintain, maybe trade some information about what's going on within the company and also what's going on with your customer base. So I think that's one. Two, like, I do think I'm just, you know, not to like make this all more negative. Like you do have to assess the political situation, right? So uh, do you need some FaceTime with a new boss? Do you need some FaceTime with an old boss? Do you need some FaceTime with uh, some other of the executives? Like, Um, Probably not the most fun thing, but if you haven't necessarily met your, you know, the new boss or the current boss or um, various people have come and go, like it is really important to like at least make uh, an attempt to have like a good 20, 30 minute conversation with your executive leadership. If nothing else to build, even if you everything is personally great in your company, like put a face with a name, make sure they know who you are and then um then the the posturing you just have to decide where you are in your company sometimes it is important to give a presentation where uh you take the opportunity to talk about your own greatness because if you don't do it no one will do it so uh depending on your situation you may need to do that um if you feel like hey that's that's not necessary then you know maybe you skip over that but i mean i do think you know showing your value right in these kind of companies it's like unfortunately, and maybe again, not the most fun thing that you're looking forward to do, but it's usually like a good idea. So, uh, for example, if you have a good case study or if you're customer oriented or whatever, just take, here's a recent success that you personally had kind of go over it. And hopefully it's not just completely, um, you know, you trying to talk, you know, how great you are, but you're actually trying to show some people like, here's something I actually learned that was interesting, right? Like this, this worked out really well. Here, and then, of course, if you can actually turn it into like, you know, God forbid—I hate to use this word—the playbook, right? If you can say like, "Hey guys, here's a playbook, here's a a template or a process or a little thing that I did that really runs. The next time you're at a conference, do X, Y, Z. Here's some of the the tools that I used to do it. It worked really well. You can do it too at your you know your next conference, your next meeting, your next project. Um, because that way, because that's the best thing. Like when I'm actually at a meeting, like that, that's really all I want. Or like uh, or that's the best stuff. Like who's got some really great tips, who's doing something that's interesting mm-hmm. that not only will help me at the company, but also I feel like helps me grow professionally. And it could be anything from like something small, like, Hey man, I learned how to like some more shortcuts in PowerPoint. Look at this, look at this styling all the way to like, no, this is a whole new way to generate leads at a conference that was really interesting. Right. I I love all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say though, most of these I've been to uh, um, I, I feel like it's almost like putting together like a music festival where the guy, the person that's putting it together, there is no real agenda or, or business outcomes. They're just trying to fill time. They're like, and they just bring in like, I don't know this, the most random things are being presented. Like we're going to have so-and-so it's like at ACL here, Austin city limits. It's like early in the morning, maybe you open up with like an HR mandatory meeting, nobody cares. And then they, and then later on the, the night they'll have like the CEO who's kind of the headliner, but there seems to be no rhyme or reason uh, for a lot of the presentations. You're just like, we're just mm-hmm. filling time here. And I understand what happens. I Because on the other end of this, someone that's putting it together is just like, whoa, I've got a day and a half. I got to like figure out what to do with. And I mean, only have like a plan for like a couple hours. Um, so that's where you just get like just a lot of random presentation. Yeah. And then of course, there is the potential for the thing to just Go off the off, you know. Especially if your company's maybe having any type of negative turmoil, like there is the moment where the thing can completely go off the rails, where it's just like, you know, yeah. the inmates are running the asylum. So you have to like, when that happens, I I just quietly excuse myself, head to the bar. That's what <laughs> yeah. I do.
0: You're 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 like holding like, into the hedges, basically. Like, yeah. yeah. Just
2: like don't say anything. Like when all of, like the group therapy kind of complaining, just be like, oh, I got I got I to take a customer call, and just go to the bar.
1: Go oh, like find a customer like- in the bar. Yeah, Yeah. all the salespeople are in the bar. (laughs) Well,
0: I I have, let's see, I wrote down two of them. So I think I'll actually go through them in reverse order. I've got three things, three follow-up points on on all of this. One, uh, this reminds me, Brandon, that uh, the approach, I speaking of QBRs, the approach I have to speaking at QBRs is still something I said, I think that you said uh, many years ago, which is the only thing the salespeople want to hear at QBRs is how you're going to help them close deals. Just say that. Anything else you say is a waste of time. And I've tried to pursue that theory of whenever I go to a QBR of what I talk about. It, and it seems to uh, it seems to resonate. And I think I think equally, you know, there, there, there's a couple of things there. One, uh, there's sort of like as an you know, it, it's it's the uh, the typical um, I know I always like re- referencing our, our three to four BMC stories. There's one person that we had. I forget his name. It's, it was Gold something. And you remember we all maybe you weren't there, Brandon, but we all went into this room. And he was the new something. This wasn't Tom Bishop who gave us the, uh, the BSM B- analogy about frequent flyers and which plane you land or whatever, which was marvelous. Uh, but it was this other person whose name started with gold. And we were all complaining. And he drew up what, what became known as the fried egg. And he said, he, he didn't think it was a fried egg, but he was like, this yoke are things you can control. And the rest of this is things you can't control. You should focus on things you can control instead of uh everything else and i think i think thinking similarly you're like as an individual what do i want what do i want to accomplish here as a team what do i want to accomplish and then as a uh, as a company and i think i think you outlined as an individual things that i think <clears throat> i don't know i don't want to speak for everyone but i feel like the world that we exist in we are sort of told not to be pushy and do virtue signaling and kind of boast about ourselves like that's uh that's considered Not cool. However, I think just like I encourage people to everything that you've ever read about how to do a presentation, forget that when you're doing a corporate presentation because it's all invalid. Like you need as much text on each slide as you can put on a slide. You should never. You should actually read everything that's on the slide. Never mind. You like slides are completely different in a corporate setting. And I feel like as an individual, you've got to figure out how to slickly boast about yourself and show that you have value. And you outlined a perfect way of doing it, which is like here's here's a way that I solved a problem or like here's something I've encountered or a tool that I think might be useful for you because it gives you this excuse to kind of uh, virtue signal about yourself and then secondarily it is like uh, we should really have people use this word politics in uh, the corporate environment like oh that's just politics and I'm sure I've made this joke before but I feel like maybe what they mean by politics is how corporations run like I don't I don't think there's anything different from politics as as we use it than like how work operates. And and it seems like it se- it seems like if if you like ignore those two notions, you sort of lose out in in the uh the corporate world. Now, as, as to how that relates to team meetings. Yeah. I mean, I think it's uh I think I think both of you outlined things that are uh, quite valuable for them, seeing people, hanging out with them, and then uh I don't know. I feel like every single team meeting I've been in for the last how long has this been twenty plus years? The most valuable part is when everyone freaks out. That's pretty much like the core <laughs> value of a team meeting. And but and like
1: the airing of grievances, freak out or yeah, yeah. And 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 because it's 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 valuable through
0: through a couple of lenses. One, uh, people are freaked out. So either there's two options if you're in a corporate setting and and you're freaking out. One of them, well, I guess there's three. The three options are one, you somehow figure out how to address the solution the 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 problem. It may be that you shouldn't be freaking out and that has addressed it, right? Two, you validate that you should be freaking out and you find a new job. So there's that. Or or three, you'd pull the Brandon move and you're like, "I I got a customer I got to go meet." And you just kind of like ignore the whole miasma. But I think I I think it's good. Like you don't want to have uh like any sort of anxiety issue, you don't want it to linger like some sort of like psychological debt in your mind. So you want to address that. But then two, it's also like, there is a, uh, I don't know, there's a good value to co-freaking out and everyone being stressed out and kind of, uh, group therapizing with, uh, with everyone, which, which I think pretty much every team meeting I've ever been in, there is like, I always feel like, again, the most valuable part is when everyone just goes crazy and they start to, uh, get upset about things and then they you know hopefully they bring it all back together and everything works well and if it doesn't then that's a good signal that uh it's time to figure something else out it's almost like a, <laughs> well, it's almost like a unit yeah. test of of team cohesion
1: it's just a little bit of stress testing right you you, you want to find out you know where the the sore points are and uh you know try to solve them in the unscheduled sessions that are going to happen around the bar and you know I mean, yeah, yeah. or, or, you know, you go on conference on it and you leave yourself a couple of block sessions for, you know, meetings, TBD. And, uh, yeah, it depends on Free how time. much time you have. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I it, mean, it one is. one of the things we have is, uh, is like an ask me anything session, you know, usually with like either the CEO or, you know, maybe the head of sales or head of uh product, you know, just getting them like, Hey, Hey, you know, you, you've been avoiding my emails. Now I got you, right? Oh, that's um, good.
2: <laughs> although I'm going to make another recommendation. Okay, to ask me anything section, best course of action, don't ask anything. That would oh. be the best course of action, <laughs> right? That is like, you, again, very unpopular. This is like, quote unquote, I have an open door policy. It's like, Probably don't take advantage of the open door policy, like you really need to wait like you have any if you like like if you want to talk about something they ask me if you want to throw up the softball, like gosh, we're doing so great, how did you make this happen um always available that always open without asking anything, but like you know like at the if you're if things are not going well, don't ask anything, right, don't exercise the open door policy, you kind of have to wait for maybe that leadership to want to hear something. And they usually will do that by coming and talking to you like, Hey, right. what do you think's going on? I heard this. Like you really need to make sure there's a nice, if you will, a uh, soft landing for information like that. So they ask me anything again, I've been, I've been on every side of it. I think I've done everything right. It's like, but don't they do people yeah. that are hosting the ask anything. They do not want to be asked anything. But don't. That <laughs> yeah. That is not what they want. They do hey, not hey. want that. Don't do that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think I think I think that is the default position, which is to say uh, those who live longest have never asked anything like just just avoid it totally.
2: It it don't sounds. ask anything. Right.
0: Yeah. Especially in no. an open setting. Well, you, you know, you know, there are other environments where you've got sort of non-human, perhaps even silicon or ephemeral based things that, you know, they are willing if you ask them anything, they're willing to give you answers. But it's very complicated to figure out how you might ask them these things. You'd like to ask them anything, but you're not really sure how to. Now, Brandon, if you wanted to ask anything of all these computer and software-based things, is there some tool that you might use that would make you successful and indeed thrive when you're AMAing your data centers?
2: Absolutely, Cote. I'd like to uh, let everyone know that this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their APM tools, Logly. No one wants to find out about a critical operational issue on Twitter. With SolarWinds Logly, you can spot issues before they affect users by setting up alerting that will notify you immediately when a problem arises. Why stop there? Take it further and proactively monitor your applications using the Logly charts and dashboards to help you visualize what matters and quickly spot patterns across dynamically changing and interconnected services, events, and issues. Connect the dots across the log data with Logly. Logly is scalable cloud-based log management that won't break the bank. Plus, SDT listeners get a special 20% off your first yearly contract of Loggly from now until December 31st, 2019, when you mention that you're a listener of SDT. New customers only, void word prohibited. Try it for free for 14 days. Just go to loggly.com slash SDT. That's loggl dot SDT. And if it logs, it can log to Loggly. And of course, we thank Siloins for being such a great long time sponsor.
0: You know, so we've got two ads this week, which is great. It's always nice that we have people who want to support us, not only with their love but also their money, which uh, we always appreciate. I, I think I can speak on behalf of all of us. But that means it's time for a geographic oddity. Now, uh, being in Chicago, I've I've been to the city uh, several times. You know, if you want to go through the back catalog, you can. uh, You can probably listen to my reaccounting of one of the first times I was here, one of the worst hangovers of my life with Mark Heckler, not Heckler, Mark Hinkle, uh, that I had, and uh, staying at a travel lodge and dry heaving into a toilet. That's a fun story. That happened here. That's
1: got to be ways back, right? Yes, that's long ago,
0: long ago when I was learning that I should never ask anything. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> wait, wait, you're an analyst, weren't you? <laughs> maybe, maybe. However, th- I've been here a long time and it's it's only just now crystallized into my head that much like that China Melville story, there's actually a, a city and a city here. So I was trying to walk to the Apple store just to kind of peruse it. and uh, And I ended up in this weird underground catacomb section that I was trapped in of Chicago. Where I was like under the street, and there were all these signs yeah. about parking and things and uh and then it dawned on me that like I have been trapped in these catacombs many times, uh especially when I rented a car and and I didn't realize that like Chicago is like this strange multi level city, uh yeah. which I think is I'm trying to think it's not really something that I've encountered in other cities, and i and I hesitate. My first reaction, my usual reaction to these kind of things is to say the following. Chicago, figure your shit out. But there probably are good reasons, and it's probably more my problem that I can't navigate the the lower and the upper level of Chicago. But I feel like that must be a cultural thing around here that almost, in the same way that us natives of Texan, Texas are probably like. I mean, of course, you know how to eat a, a you know a taco, and if you were confronted with a salsa bar at Polvo's. You would know how to operate each of these things. I don't even know why we're talking about this. Uh, <laughs> like, like I, I feel like maybe the people of Chicago don't realize how bizarre and odd this geographic thing they have is here. So maybe someone can write into to me and explain how I cope with this, uh, this city within a city that is the upper and lower, I don't even know what to call it, the upper and lower level of Chicago. Uh, And it seems uh, extremely challenging. The only thing that I can think of to close out this geographic oddity that's kind of similar is like, you know, when you're in Las Vegas and you're like, you know, what I should probably do is try to walk somewhere outside of this casino. And then you go outside of the casino and you realize that you can't fucking walk anywhere because everything is closed off to you in a very controlled, strange, bizarre way. Like you just it's impossible. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult to actually like walk around the strip. Everything's like walled off and, and very strange. So it is like, uh, it's it's our, our geographic oddity this week. But, you know, let's say maybe I was trapped in one of these underlayers of Chicago on, uh, on the way to the Apple store. And I was like, according to my GPS, the Apple store is right above me. And yet I have no idea how to get to it because unlike all these characters in the Broken Earth trilogy, I can't just move physical matter away from me and just kind of like go up through the holes that I have created in the earth and and the cement, uh, and I, and and I wanted to notify someone. Let's say I was a computer that I was having some sort of issue. Is there some sort of system that were I a computer stuck in this miasma of multi layered Chicago Matt
1: that I could rely on to notify someone to come help me out? Yes, yes. So probably there's going to be some people on call looking to help you in your time of need. So this episode is brought to you by PagerDuty. In an always-on world, teams trust PagerDuty to help them deliver a perfect digital experience to their customers every time. With PagerDuty, teams spend less time reacting to incidents and more time building the future. From digital disruptors to Fortune 500 companies, over 12,000 businesses rely on PagerDuty to identify issues and opportunities in real time and bring together the right people to fix problems faster, prevent them from happening again. We're like the central nervous for a company's digital operations. So we can analyze digital signals from virtually any software enabled system and help you intelligently pinpoint issues like outages as well as see <clears throat> as well as capitalize on opportunities, empowering teams to take the right real-time action. To see how companies like GE, Vodafone, Box and American Eagle Outfitters rely on PagerDuty to continuously improve their digital operations, visit pagerduty.com. So for many years we've
0: eagerly been anticipating uh, you know this this thing how is the jedi contract going to close now metaphorically related i saw there's some new star wars franchise that was out which is it's called the western of, of star wars i've seen lots of things on instagram of like is is it a mandalorian or something some sort oh, of yeah. boba fett looking yeah. person
1: i, I yeah, eventually it's got the- Werner Herzog, which I'm sure I'm the only Whoa. one who appreciates.
0: What? <laughs> Does yes. that mean there's going to be a scene in some Danish hospital with some bizarre monster from the sink, the thing? Because I would totally be into that.
1: Oh, he's going to be like, "I told you there are no Jedi here.
0: Go uh, away." All right. Well, well, we have we have we have our homework cut out for some future recommendations. We need to consume the Mandal- Mandalorian, Mandorian. I don't even know what it is, but that's that sounds exciting. However. Well, what I'm actually talking about is the 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 famous, infamous, ongoing Jedi contract. Yes. I don't know what Jedi stands for. It's probably like joint excellent defense initiative for cloud stuff. And for many years it seemed like AWS was gonna be the chosen one to implement the uh, the cloud oh. stuff for, for the Pentagon's ten yeah. billion dollar thing. And then and then Oracle was like, but our cloud is pretty awesome. They were gonna be into <laughs> it. And uh they, they kicked up a lot of dust. And I feel like I don't know what this strategy is, but I feel like there was there was a, a a strategy that's somehow the Microsoft people are playing, which is like, let's just let those two people fight it out. And then when they're exhausted, we will be the ones left, because apparently Azure has won the 10 billion dollar Jedi contract, which I'm not sure if that was uh, that was on anyone's radar. I, I thought it was just like aws and oracle were all upset about things
1: right right so it sounded like it was you know fate accompli that that amazon was going to win it because they have you know they've got GovCloud and they've got their cia cloud and you know things were humming along for them pretty well uh those customers from what i see uh seem pretty happy and so you know this big jedi contract uh the, the joint enterprise defense initiative infrastructure um they uh AWS had had the the inside pole position and, you know, seemed to be pulling away. Google withdrew, um, you know, and then uh, Trump got elected and, you know, Oracle started uh, campaigning heavily uh, that, you know, it should be more open and IBM sued and uh, Microsoft just kind of uh, kept quiet and stayed in, in, in the game, you know, for, at least from the outside, at least, you know, stayed out of the news. and. Uh, Apparently, you know, if you own the Washington Post, you, you there might be some people who uh, don't like that, and maybe that's what's you know. The theories are that uh, there are lawsuits to come. <laughs> that this this oh, is not you mean, over. I mean, it's, it's not a closed deal. Oh. oh. It's closed, but nothing's closed, right? Nothing's closed. Right. Everything this can is. Be this is enterprise software. Now, yeah, now, this, this leads over. me to think.
0: This leads me to think. Maybe the Disney Corporation is actually involved, so that more pictures of their Mandalorian TV show can be licensed by news outlets like the Register, who are going to be covering the ongoing Jedi contract. Do you think? You think this perhaps is a, a valid is conspiracy the social, theory?
2: It's the quite the uh, the social media strategy to get yourself into a government contract. <laughs> <laughs> to win uh, free publicity for your movie. I think uh, kudos to the the social team at uh, Disney. Yeah. But I will I will have to say like kind of a little bit of a callback. This is a good example of ask me anything. Microsoft didn't say a word, right? They didn't say anything <laughs> to anyone, and they got $10 billion. So, guys, <laughs> I just want everyone to think about this the next time. Again, there's a difference between making a point and making money. Now, I, I'm not saying we have to like it. I'm just saying it's a good example of like I'm just going to stay over here in the corner. I'm going to quietly work on my my product. I'm going to control what I can control. Suddenly, 10 billion dollars shows up, right? It's not a bad not a bad way to to run a business, if you ask me.
0: Mm, that that makes sense. Now, now I I feel like maybe we we've talked about this and and I'm sure we have all sorts of entanglements and uh, valued partnerships and and friends that we would like, but like I mean between the three of them is there really a difference that like the military would have had going for them like we can generalize it and say like let's assume yeah throughout the throughout the decades of IT right that you you're going to make a decision uh about about the top 3 providers of IT stuff right we can go back to servers like HP Dell and uh IBM like x86 stuff and others like is there going to be a huge difference between choosing some sort of infrastructure over the course of like ten to fifteen years, or should you just sort of like choose one of them? Like, is, is there well, really any, any 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 sort of technical reason why why AWS versus Azure versus Google Cloud would be different for the uh, the U.S. military?
1: Yes. Um, so proceed. So, yes. Yes. So uh, for those who are less uh, conspiracy conspiracy theory-minded, which, you know, it's probably 50-50. Um, <laughs> Brandon's going to love this. Uh, you know, Azure Stack actually was, was you know, reportedly a compelling part of the, the conversation. Um, the, mm, the ability right. to deli- deliver, you know, an on-prem, most of your public cloud offerings uh, into, you know, remote locations, it's not something Amazon really does. Right. Mm -hmm. And and Google's, you know, Anthos is is pretty, uh, pretty new on the scene and not, you know, it's still focused mostly on the Kubernetes end of things. And I can assure you, uh, you know, the the U.S. Department of Defense has not finished their uh, digital migration to uh, (laughs) to Kubernetes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so, you know, uh, Azure Stack is probably, you know, probably helped the the case really well, because, I mean, at the end of the day, like. All the cloudy stuff, the cloud native stuff, the AI, it's you know you can probably push it either way, and you know whatever shortcomings are there won't be there in you know a year or two. but the on-prem solution that's got some skins on the wall, that's uh, you yeah, supposedly that was Microsoft's uh, advantage the other this, this, thing? This, is a, this is a good feature set thing it's, It would suggest
0: that the uh, the whole multi-cloud thing, which is to say hybrid cloud or private public cloud or whatever. I mean I could see how for a military organization that has sort of a, a global marketplace for example or or so to speak that would be incredibly valuable for them. So and, and uh it would make sense that like Microsoft would have the best POC so to speak on on all of that versus the other two contenders.
2: I think the other factor here, the other thing I think you, we can't underestimate is the size of this contract is is almost in some ways, it like makes a company. So I think we talked about in other ones that like if one of the like Oracle or IBM or one of the, you know, if you will, small mega clouds had won it, right? It really kind of, you know, makes that company in some ways. So I think going forward, the thing that's interesting here is that, you know, Microsoft, I think, I think most people, I think we would all agree, you know, definitive number two is that fact that like the legitimizing case to like, if you will, that they're going to use this everywhere, right? Every time someone talks about, hey, like, you know, we, we should be thinking about, um, you know, do you have a public reference? Like for a long time, you could say like, if someone asked AWS, like, do you have a public reference for security? They can point to that CIA, CIA cloud that was built a couple of years ago, right? And so I think Microsoft now has that equal weight behind this and two, like just the amount of, you know, the size of this contract and the features, And the money they'll be able to pour into it to then build this out, right? It's going to create not only, you know, a good product lifecycle feedback loop, but it's also going to train a tremendous amount of people on Azure in the Washington, D.C. metro area, right? I mean, you think of all the people just, just by default, if you want to work on a Pentagon contract you know, you're going to, That's going to require a certain amount of Azure expertise and that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, we think about like the multiple of this contract, right? The fact that it gives you credibility, it's going to help you train a huge workforce. It's going to make your products better. I mean, it's probably worth two to three times w- yeah, what the actual a good contract point. value is. And in yeah. that, in this one case, right too, it's the fact that like, this is the one customer, like if your product doesn't do it, well, you just got enough money to make to actually go build that feature set out, which <laughs> even like even for really large financial corporations that are going to spend millions of dollars with you, you can't always make that commitment. Now, here you can make that commitment. So, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't I, I think, you know, I, I think in this one case, you really can't overstate what what kind of a, a change and like really le- not, not even legitimizing, but really arming Microsoft to go head to head with AWS, I think, in the coming years. I mean, I think it's really a seminal moment.
0: Yeah. yeah you know you know this to, to to do another uh side note footnote thing I, I i this reminds me of something another thing i think about every now and then which which i think i learned from uh when we were as i always referenced back at bmc and you were a product manager which is like you kind of outlined it like a a large spending spending a lot of money on a vendor doesn't one of the things that it means is that now you can determine the vendor's roadmap not determined completely, but you can heavily influence and say, I want this feature in there. And so you're not so much only buying what the software does right now, but you're buying this option to sort of like have the company implement things that you want, right? Like this is the uh, the mythical, if we just did this feature, we could close the $10 million deal. And as you're kind yep. of, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't even say alluding as as you're, you're pointing towards, when you sign like a $10 billion deal Your aspirations as the person paying that money for everything you want that computer stuff to do don't currently exist, right? However, part of what you're buying is the ability to influence its existence and and it being created. And I think I don't have anything except, you know, the following thought exercise to have. I don't know what the answer is, but like, it's interesting to contrast the notion we have about the open source world to that, where it's sort of like in the open source world, it's almost like. I know we're not supposed to say meritocracy anymore or what what would be the equivalent of like work autocracy like the the people who do the work determines what happens i guess that's maybe <laughs> communism i don't really know like if that system exists because maybe just a
2: union is, to maybe like use a less politically charged word. yeah, I don't know, yeah. Maybe more politically yeah but, word, yeah but it's
0: but there is there's almost no centralized control it's just like who it's almost darwinian who's ever whoever puts in the work and that work becomes widely accepted they determine the roadmap, and so, to some extent, uh, that's kind of like one of the ideas of open source: is like if you put in the work and you contribute the thing, and someone accepts it, then you can determine the roadmap, which is a lot different than like, hey, I'm, hey, Azure, here's $10 dollars $10 or a billion dollars a year, and and we would like it if your product managers called us and asked us what we were <laughs> interested in, like, and and, and it is uh, those two things are uh, broadly contrasted, but yeah, I mean, I think it is. Uh, you know, assuming there are not sort of like lawsuits and ongoing stuff and it actually goes through, it would be uh I, I hadn't thought about that, but the the, the the uh ecosystem effects, right? Like one would assume that anyone who's in NATO, Microsoft would be like, I mean, I don't know, the US military thinks it's cool, right? Like and you work yeah. with them. So you should probably at least give us a couple hundred million dollars so you can talk with U.S. military stuff and then do whatever else you want for your own stuff. So there's almost like this, uh, I mean, it's the original success of Windows stuff, right? It's the ecosystem you build around it and everyone just kind of goes into it. So it'll be fun to see how that works in the uh, the military world. Maybe there'll be a big announcement that China is using like Ali, Alibaba Cloud or
1: uh, Huawei <laughs> Cloud or something. Yeah, probably.
2: Probably. That's probably
1: coming. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their on-prem solution. So then
0: meanwhile, uh, you know, I, I love these kind of headlines. I don't know if there's really, I didn't really dig into the details. I don't know if there's really much to say about it except to be like slightly snarkily corrective. But I, I think there was some sort of like issue with Amazon's numbers this quarter. And uh, as the headline said, I, I, think, I think there are two salient things that great mainstream media, not to be that guy, but general media tech reporters went over, which I think is great is one, Jeff Bezos is now the number two richest person in the world, after Bill Gates, Aww. or something like that. Which is just, you know, sad
2: yeah, to him. Yeah, he's gonna
0: yeah. he's gonna have to turn in one of his robot dogs. I just can't can't afford doing that. But then, two, as as the headline said, it wiped fifty billion dollars from Amazon's market cap. Now, these kind of headlines. Let's let's go over into Professor Cote's uh, you know corner of pedagogy. Uh, you always have to be careful because I I always. Even though I don't really understand how math works, I know that there is such an idea, a notion of an absolute number and a relative number. And an absolute number is $50 billion. And you're like, hey, that seems like a lot of money. $50 billion, very stressful. That is That might be one of those Steve Jobs, like uh, life uh, sort of confirming moments where you lose billions of dollars. But then you go read the article. And as it says, uh, this decreased Amazon's market cap by 4.8%, uh, which I think, You know, if I got a four point eight percent discount on like a meal I was buying, I would say like maybe you can just have this four point eight percent back. I don't care, right? Like it's it's a very immaterial amount. Now, however, I know that Matt Ray is the cash back on credit cards person, so he might be very excited about four point eight percent back on his uh, his money. But you know, I think Um, maybe it's a big deal with my hundred billion dollars. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's the law of big numbers, but like the headline would not be very interesting if it was like, you know, Amazon's market cap decreases for, you know, 5%. You would just be kind of like, hmm, well, I guess I'm going to order some more paper towels from Amazon now. Not really sure why that's a big deal, but uh, sure. So there's that. There goes $50 billion. They'll probably get it back in the next quarter.
2: But I do think the only Uh, thing, you know, with all these announcements, the only thing that's interesting to watch are the trends, not the data points where – because, I mean, a lot of – I think, you know, the press is always interested in, like, you know, narrative changes, narrative reversals. So so I think, you know, it's just interesting. I think to your point, Cote, it's like kind of just – my like this data point in isolation is a little bit meaningless. But I think we could at least, you know, put a note and say, okay, well, this was the week – you know, uh, Microsoft got the $10 billion Jedi contract. Amazon's earnings just weren't as great as we thought they were. So now you have to see going forward, right? Like, does, does it slowly, is it like, is Amazon slowly coming back to the pack? Or is, is this just, you know, one random thing in the next quarter, right? They're going to blow it That's out on and on, right? And I think like, you know, IBM seems to, you know, suffer from this more than anybody. It's like, you know, when you have a long period of time where like it's either progressively going down or up, right? That's what matters, right? Because that's that's gonna like tell a story investors care about. This, you know, probably doesn't matter at all. And I think we all kind of think. I mean, if we were to pull ourselves, I think we'd say, AWS today seems as strong as ever. So, you know, we're gonna continue yeah. to do well.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, you're you're right. You know, it's it's like the old saying. You know, four point eight percent here, four point eight percent there, and pretty soon you're sixteen percent. <laughs> like, you no! Oh no! you get close talking to about real money.
1: That's right. That's
0: right. Well, also, as far as like incremental changes to things, there was a state of developer ecosystem report that came out, I think, from uh, from JetBrains, which I still every time I say that that word, I'm still astonished that someone came up with that. That's 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 a good phrase. But uh, I think I think, you know, I I haven't extensively read through it, but I did look through an infographic that's available, some other things. And uh, what I noticed is uh, the thing that popped out to me while I was scrolling through it is that 89% 89% of developers have customized their IDEs in some way uh, to, to, to which I immediately thought like uh, the other 11% of people, if I've done that math correctly, <laughs> should probably fire themselves because they don't know what they're doing. Like oh, who, who are yeah. these 11% of people who are not customizing their IDE? I don't oh, really I know. Them. <laughs> 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 are, wait, now Matt Ray, are these the same people that are using FTP to do production deploys?
1: Uh, yeah. Is that in there somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I've probably ranted on this before about, you know, the, how professional you are, right. How much do you invest in the tools you use? I mean, are you, uh, are you just kind of filling a seat or are you actually, you know, trying to get some work done? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure those IDEs are perfectly lovely, but there's got to be something you don't like about them. And maybe you've got the curiosity to go and tweak it a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. yeah.
2: It almost seems like a challenge that we should almost flip it around. Can you, how long can you go using an IDE Ooh, with the default settings? IDE. Right. Yeah. Like stock yeah. IDE, no changes, nothing. I'm talking about no color, no syntax, highlighting changing, no key uh, board shortcut changes, no nothing. How long can you go? How good could you be? That would be um that seems like some kind of geek nerd uh um yeah. contest we should put together to see to see, uh, you know. Like Matt Ray, maybe five minutes. That's what I would think. Like maybe <laughs> maybe two, or three minutes before he's like I am <laughs> like, yeah. <God. laughs> Matt Ray, the, as we found out on the last episode, the man with more than 300 email rules in his uh, inbox. Uh, like, <laughs> probably could not go more than. Maybe that would Matt Ray, Maybe that's your challenge. Generic email client, no changes. How Ooh, long please. could you go? That, that would even that, be that, better. That the Matt be, Ray you know, challenge.
0: That that would that would be some sort of sponsorship thing. Like if if back when we were doing Patreon, if we got $500 in Patreon contributions for 30 days, <laughs> Matt Ray will run on stock installs of all software.
1: He that's horrible. Not- <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know, I think I think you're right like like it's like the uh like doing that is like if you're like a fixie biker of IDEs like you just like you just go with what's there and you're super cool cuz you know how to make it all all work.
1: Uh, yeah. You know, I, I I mostly poked at the things that are of interest to me. Um, you know, the DevOps stuff, some Ruby, uh, editors, um Emacs, you know, still uh still hasn't uh had that big bounce back yet. Uh, I guess that, that 4% or four point eight percent is starting to kill them, um, mm. but uh, I feel know, like when uh, we
2: say Visual Studio, VS Code, it's pretty much it seems number one. It seems like it's 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 won this this IDE war and until until Matt until you give your Emacs uh, and what is that November second until you give uh, your this weekend yeah this weekend until this is it guys until like we're looking I'm actually looking for the Matt Ray bounce I next year Emacs <laughs> should probably be up to 5%, five percent we'll say we'll just yeah. say five percent The Matt Ray
0: works bounce. for me.
1: Yes, you're welcome. Here, here, um, here's
0: here's another figure as I'm scrolling through it. 83% prefer the dark theme for the editors or their IDE, which, hold on, represents a growth of six percentage points since last year. They didn't even bust out with the 600 basis points. They're just like, fuck that shit. We're going with full-on percentage points. No basis points there, which I think, uh, I think that confirms what we know about developers. They always want the uh, black with green text, right? I mean that's what they're yeah. after. Or the, the, Lights the, the off, sort of black
2: with green text, always. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, so let, let, let me ask the uh the the uh the the the, the typical software defined talk question here. So what do I do with this? Like is this just like entertainment or is this something that I actually like? Like am I going to change the way I behave and the way that I do my job based on reading through this? I mean obviously, as a marketer or someone who's trying to like hustle a reason to give give me uh, the theoretic me, give me money for like, you know, the products I sell to these people, I'm interested in this data because, you know, I may be more interested in, let's say, you know, JavaScript IDEs than Delphi IDEs uh, based on the percentage of what people do. (laughs) But like as a general population, if I'm a developer, what, what, what am I going to do with this? What, what do I do? What, what kind of sandwich do I make as a developer?
1: (sighs) probably you're going to look at your stuff and you'll have some confirmation bias blah, and you'll be like, yep. Um, I mean, cause you're probably not gonna, you're not going to find something that was, you know, if, if, if like, for example, if you were say a Rust developer, you know, you're not going to look at this and be like, Oh, I hadn't thought about using, um, uh, I'm just looking through their Delphi. stuff here. You know, I, I hadn't thought about targeting, you know, Windows as a platform. It's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of probably already know these things. Um, I think this is this is more like, you know, JetBrains just sharing their market research that's probably done to aid their product management. Right? They're like, hey, look over here, and, and you know, generate some leads for them. Um, but, you know, if you're on these pages and, and you see, like, you know, this is the third most popular language and it doesn't have JetBrain support, you know, you probably figure, like, next year there's going to be some JetBrain support. <laughs> yeah. I but as if a if developer, he, yeah.
2: If it, as an Apple, I think if you were someone in the Apple ecosystem and maybe you've been around doing it for a while, I think it's probably another data point. I mean, it won't be new to you, but it's probably the moves like, hey, it's time to probably commit to Swift. It's probably the time. Yeah, to like, yeah. To get, you know, to, to start retiring some of my Objective-C and like if you didn't like it or you postponed learning some of the frameworks, it's like I think that would make sense because that's clearly the direction of that platform, both from yeah. Apple, from the tooling, from that. So I think that makes sense. And I think the only other thing would just be, you know, just more generally, it's just like probably, you know, you know, some languages today and it's just kind of back to like, where do you want to go? Is there something you're looking to do something different? You know, do these do these languages give you some insight into, I mean, either way, either like what's more popular or sometimes learning the thing that's a little less popular gets you like some more marketable, right? And maybe that's like, well, yeah. hey, I'm going to spend some time uh, learning s- some of these new languages just uh, for my own career development.
0: Yeah, no, you're, yeah. you're right. I mean, I, th- I think maybe that is a good, um, I don't know a better word for it than like baselining, but there is a certain sort of individual health check that you can make that like, yeah, I developed for both Android and iPhone, which is what everyone else does. So like, I'm cool. Or as you were saying, Brandon, like, oh, maybe I should be more normal in what I'm doing because it's not always the case that whatever, quote unquote, everyone else is doing is what you should be doing. Uh, but like, generally, like, these are the popular things and there's, you should probably investigate if you're not doing the things that are wildly popular, like, is there a, a core reason that you're doing it? Which it's probably good to kind of just like, check in on your normalcy. That's the wrong that that means something different in, in in like regular life but like just check in that you're up to speed on what people consider the uh, the baseline of things that you should be doing in uh, in your area. Now on the other hand, I I always love a figure like this as it says like last year about 30% of developers don't have unit tests in their projects, which I feel like <laughs> now I have admittedly I haven't written code in a while so I have two reactions to this. Uh, like one of them is like, I guess that's the 30% that's FTPing their code to production. Like I don't really yeah. understand what's going on there. On the other hand, the like last year makes me think, well, how about the year before that and the year before that? And maybe, maybe, maybe this is like a Y2K thing where like 30% of developers have not been doing unit tests for 10 to 50 years and the world still functions so maybe that's all the unit testing that we need like 70 (laughs) percent, you're good like you don't need to worry about uh, testing this other stuff because apparently we're not going to be like you know on uh strapped to the front of lord humongous's car if you don't do unit testing everything's going to be fine so i don't know i'm always curious about that kind of thing though because it seems like it seems like doing unit testing is a good idea i mean i don't know someone can Write well, in and so tell me so. If I'm wrong. So
1: hopefully, hopefully, there's a whole you know set of developers who look at this and like, I could do better. I'm mm. gonna make better software, and 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 next year, JetBrains is gonna be like, you know what, software's gotten better in 2020. Yeah, <laughs> that would be optimistic of them. It, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or you know, what's more likely is like, oh, numbers kind of stay the same on like you know overall quality and uh, the stock IDs. You know, percentage of people using them has increased. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. People really like that JetBrains, don't they? They they should be a sponsor, too. There you go. Uh, that would be nice. All right. Well, uh, you know, we've mentioned EmacsConf several times. This is coming yeah. up, though, Matt Ray, right? Like, are are you ready? Have you put together your slides? Have you checked them into – they probably don't use GitHub. Do they use,
1: like, Ogg Hub? or something what's
0: what's the Um, fsf thing that you that Emacs world would use
1: um that's a good question are they going to do like
0: meta act meta x push code matt ray conf is that (laughs) is that something
1: uh i'll I'll get back to you uh next week we can have a, a debriefing of of all the the things that i had to do for for getting my talk in um i'm i'm uh So right now it's Thursday my time, and I'm supposed to give this talk uh, Sunday morning my time, Mm. and I'm about halfway through, um, halfway through building my slides and script, and which means I got a long day ahead of me because I'm gonna have to record most of my stuff in advance. So uh, the slide the slides are coming in, and then I figure out what goes in the talk, and uh, yeah, and and I'm having that uh, you know, huh? I guess I signed up for a lot of work <laughs> now now
0: now now sunday morning your time is saturday night u.s time is that right
1: uh yeah so it's uh I mean, like, we, we've only been doing I this for I've a got, few years but i think i'm on the three fifteen p.m eastern time talk so nice. listen listen i i you know if you listen to this podcast you
0: don't have fuck all going on on saturday night you're probably like <laughs> saturday afternoon Saturday afternoon, you definitely, you're just waking up. You might like be putting, you know, you've given your kids some pancakes or French toast if you have kids. But basically, you just stayed up till like 2 a.m. watching some bullshit Netflix show on Friday night. So you're waking up. What you need to do, you got to log in. I don't even know where you go for this or what you do. But you just need to figure out where Matt Ray is talking on the Emacs conf. And you you type in escape and X and you open up that window. You should attend his session and just see what's going on. Go. It's going to be Saturday afternoon sometime. It's going to be great. Whatever he's talking gonna about, there's cool. going to be a lot of parentheses, parentheses involved, editing things on remote servers. It's going to be wonderful. Be awesome. you, yeah, should, you should
1: that emacsconf.org That's right.
0: And then and then and then really, if if you know, anyways, I was going to make some terrible joke about like free software, but I won't. You should uh, you should do that. Emacs is good stuff. Check that out now. I'm going to be at the Gartner Symposium in Barcelona next week. Uh, I don't know. you know. And I'll, also, I think, I haven't mentioned this, but I think I'm finally going to be speaking at a O'Reilly conference. The O'Reilly Architecture Conference in Berlin, I think, is also next week. As I, as I tell the, the field marketing people who move me around to do things, when I say I think, rest assured, I have this all planned out. I just am not remembering. I have a schedule, a spreadsheet that tells me where to go, and I book the travel. I, so I'm pretty sure it's next week, but I, I will be there. So if you're going to be there, um, maybe I'll have a sticker for you <clears throat> or not. And uh, you can also look in the show notes. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com 203, uh, there's some good conferences coming up in January. You've got Delivery Comp. We've got a promo code, uh, SDT10 to get 10% off. And then also, uh, as probably with the rest of the world who cares about computers and YAML, there's going to be Kubecom. Con in uh, San Diego. Uh, that's in North America. So they call it KubeCon North America. I like the notion that maybe there's going to be a South America one or a way the fuck like North America one. So they just, instead of just calling it KubeCon America or just KubeCon, they really got to, you know, add in some extra words there. But that's fine. I'm not judging. Uh, but that's going to be November 18th and 21, which is coming up pretty, pretty quick. And As we like to joke each week, uh, there's a crazy ass discount code you can use, which I will not read here. But you can get 10% off with that if you go to to the show notes. And Brandon, do we have any follow-up or sticker announcements to make this week?
2: (laughs) Always. We've got a couple announcements. One, uh, someone who wants to remain anonymous, because he he told me I, I talked about visiting the Pentagon. They said the reason the Pentagon doesn't want you taking your phone around they don't want people taking pictures. So there you have it. Some Uh, good legit reason. This is like the U.S. border. they're
0: They're like, don't use a phone. And you're like, because... Why? But that
2: was the thing. He said there's lots of people coming in out of the Pentagon. They don't want people taking pictures. So, all right, fair enough. Makes sense to me. Uh, and then, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Professor Jeremy, longtime listener, he uh, sent a nice picture of his class. I sent them a bunch of stickers. They all had their stickers out. I actually put it out on the uh, wind. SolarWind- sorry, not SolarWinds, on the Software Defined Talk Instagram, so you can see the, the fine class there. And then uh, Max from Minnesota, he wrote in, uh, so I sent him some s- stickers. He told us he loves his show. And uh, we really appreciate his support. And if you would like a sticker, just send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. com. can pretty much send you stickers anywhere in the world. Happy to do it.
0: Mm. You know, th- this reminds me of something I was thinking. There have been, a, in recent, recent time, there have been several instances where people proactively hand out stickers. And uh, I heard a comment about business cards some time ago. I forget where I read this, but, you know, back, back when I was trying to improve myself, my lot in life before before you know the decades piled on and I was just trying to survive each day instead of improve myself. I, I would always read these things about how you're supposed to interact with the world. And one of the comments that someone said was, you should only offer a business card after a meeting when things have gone well. Like don't be presumptuous that you should hand out business cards ahead of time, which I think in Asia, you can correct me, Oceana guy, if I'm wrong, but I I think you formally yeah. give out business cards at the beginning as sort of like a, um, in the Victorian way of like as a calling card, like a a, a sort of yeah, extension yeah. of so, yourself, right? That that you're you know, brokering. You,
1: you gracefully hand it over, and then you take the time to like read the title, and you're like, oh, you know, senior Oceana manager of you know this and that, That's yeah. impressive.
0: <laughs> which which I have to say, let let me let me parenthesize my parentizing here a footnote to my footnote. Like, I think uh, I would value that because in in American and mostly European culture, people like go around the table and introduce themselves. Here's a little secret for anyone who's listening. I I don't hear any of that. It's just like some Uh noise that's happening. And I don't remember anyone's anyone's name, their title, what they do. It just it's not even in one ear out the other. There is no ear involved. It just like it's as if it's not occurring. And so like I think if someone, and I've seen people do this, and I, I so treasure this, they'll be given business cards, and they'll like stack the business cards up next to them on the table, and there's probably even a way you could do that ninja memorization thing where you order it in the way people are sitting at the table, and then you know everyone's name and title, and that would be great, so I appreciate that. However, back to my main topic, uh, I think basically you shouldn't proactively hand out stickers. You should wait until after you've done your thing instead of opening with, hey, I've got a bunch of stickers if you want it. You shouldn't be that forward. You should just sort of wait till people ask for them uh, towards the end, which is my, my advice, because I, I've been offered some things recently and, and I was thinking like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who you are. So I don't know if I want that uh, immediately. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, so Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week?
2: Well, I'm gonna keep it simple. I'm gonna keep it about making money guys. As I was sitting here today, I was trying to sell some, uh, Obscure piece of electronics, and I went to eBay, and sure enough, an order came in as we were recording. So I'm very happy. I'm very happy to get some money for something that was just sitting around. So now, don't forget it about eBay. Forward,
0: would it be too forward of me to ask what it was?
2: Um, no, not at all. It's a it's a 15 port. I think it's pronounced Carbonex USB charger that people you can use to like oh. you have a bunch of different mobile phones, and you want this massive USB hub to charge everything correctly. Uh, you, you can, uh, use it. So I was like, well, I needed, uh, so long story short was, I was like, I just want a better USB hub, but then I tried this thing and it's really good for mobile phones, but like your, 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 your boring old scanner and other stuff, I don't know, it didn't work that well. So, so I just, uh, I bought it used and I was like, ah, I don't know, this isn't a great, this isn't a great fit for me. So let's throw it up on eBay and I'm, I'm actually making a little, little profit on that. Don't tell anyone, probably not gonna report that to the IRS. So I'm making a few extra dollars. So I'm doing uh I guess you could say I've now entered into the uh, the world of uh USB hub arbitrage, right? That's right. I mean I bought it off Facebook market locally and now I'm reselling it for a higher price
0: wow.
1: to
2: somebody else who is probably then going to take it and uh you know sell it again for a lot more money. But you know what? I'm I'm happy for him to do that. Good luck. I don't know you what know, to do I, with I, that. I, I, One guys. I, I,
0: I had a friend in high school and everyone knows someone in high school or junior high who did the candy selling racket, the illicit candy oh, yeah. selling, where you would just go buy a bag of candy and you would like do uh, 50 to 300 percent markup on each piece of candy and sell it to kids at school. Total moneymaker. Now, this this friend of mine in high school, uh, Gun Saladin Landa, uh, and his dad is the one who tricked me into eating a raw habanero straight off the vine, which I always remember. He also helped me get my car fixed. He's a great guy. Um, but Gun got into the racket of basically buying all sorts of computer hardware in the 90s and cards and stuff and selling it. And from what I remember, he made a shit ton of money, like buying graphic cards and hard drives. And he would just like build machines and hustle computers around everywhere. So I think there's a, there's always a good little racket in in selling uh, computer hardware, which is good stuff, which also reminds me, you know how there's that site, uh, is it down for me or down for or whatever? There should be a site that's called something like, does it actually daisy chain? And like whether it's a USB-C <laughs> thing or like a, 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 a USB port, you could look up what it was in there and it would tell you like, yes, this does what you would expect it. That if you plug something in, you can daisy chain all these, these things, which historically I've found that 99% of the time, if you were to put your device into doesitdaisychain.com, it the answer would be no, it does not. Uh, which is always disappointing. But on that note, Matt Ray, what is your recommendation this week?
1: Uh, not electronics, uh, just uh, another, another podcast. Um, the the fine folks at Radiolab have a, a short uh, spinoff ep- uh, series called Dolly Parton's America, all about uh, Dolly Parton, the, the country Western singer. Um, it's actually really good. Uh, the, you know, i I was a little skeptical, but I, I enjoyed the first episode. Subscribed and you know, getting into the the second episode now, so uh, uh, check it out. It's only it's only nine episodes, but uh, she's a very interesting person, and uh, I learned a lot about murder ballads in the first episode, so that was good. Wait, what's the, what's a murder ballad? <laughs> exactly, you have to listen, right? I feel, um, I, feel no, like, no. I,
0: I feel like a murder ballad is pretty much every single Nico case song. Uh, now, now that I think of it, that's probably what they're all about. Is,
1: uh... Well, so so back in the day when people were illiterate, um, there was a lot of uh, you know spoken uh, oral oral history of of uh, crimes, and people would make money like going to you know the trials, hearing about what was going on, write a song about it, sing it sing it at the execution you know or the hanging and then like that was a jam that they took with them from city to city and people would pay them to listen to
0: yeah (laughs) wow you you know you know uh, i'm gonna pile this onto that hamburger that you serve people who complain about how like video games and computers are destroying the culture be like yeah well it's better than this other thing that people
1: used to do to pass the time which was
0: exactly go see people hung and then sing about it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well there's a, a the hardcore history podcast had an episode about uh, the public executions and the spectacle of that, and that was pretty grim. <laughs> yeah. and people were really into it. You know, like and now today people are like, uh, no. So, yeah,
0: I mean, now I feel terrible because, I, you know, I was upset that when when I buy like a port expander for my my MacBook Pro, I can't plug my USB C thing and have it charge. <laughs> I thought that was a, that was an affront to humanity, but uh, I'm I'm going to go evaluate my life choices and make sure I'm I'm thinking about things correctly. Well, speaking of evaluating your life choices, I was, uh, I've got, I've I've got, I've got three things I want to go over. Two of them are just kind of little, little things. One of them is related. So I I flew over on Aer Lingus because I was in Dublin and uh, I flew in coach for various reasons. It was great. If you ever have to fly on coach in Air Lingus, totally cool. Lots of leg space, very happy people. It's it's a good good setup, a good situation. They have they have those Android TV things, you know that you can kind of pull the bottom and it slants and there's one USB port on it that operates fantastically. So that's a, that's a good thing there. But while I was there, you know, I'm always watching movies other people watch and I saw someone watching uh, the Hotel Budapest. I don't know if it's Hotel Budapest or the Hotel Budapest. But I kept yeah. watching it, and finally I was like, you know what? I'm watching this so much, I should just watch it, even though I've seen it again. And I've only yeah. seen like so many of these movies, I remember a lot. Like I've only actually seen it once, so I watched it again, and that's a fantastic movie. That movie's just got like, it's got everything going on in it. It's uh, it's got, it's 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 damn near perfect, all the way to like. As always, there's this one scene, this one sequence, and then this one scene with Bill Murray in it. And once once that montage and he's involved in it, also perfection, just like his whole – I don't know what he does. I guess he just acts that one way, but uh, always a good character in there. So if you haven't seen that movie or seen it in a while, you should definitely check it out. And then also, for the Intrepid Business Traveler, I, I always, my recommendation, you, know, you go out and you eat too much at team team meetings and dinners – but you know what's always there if you're in the States or in London? The Whole Foods Hot hot Buffet. You can just go there, get some, so moment, some time on your own as an introvert, eat whatever you want, eat as little or as much. It's very affordable. Put it on the corporate Amex. It's a great option for a dinner uh, if you can look up where a Whole Foods is. Always very satisfying. And with that, speaking of Whole Foods, this has been a whole edition of Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, this is episode number 203. 203. So you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 203. You can find links to things we talked about, other things we didn't, that uh, discount code for KubeCon North America that I did not try to pronounce. It makes sense when you look at it. It's just hard to kind of like write it down when you say it. It's sort of like sometimes I ask people to spell words to me and they just like instantly rattle off the spelling. And I'm like, I don't think you understand what it means to not be able to spell a word. You can't just like rattle off this stuff. I don't retain that. If if I could listen to you rattle off how to spell a word like necessary, I would know how to spell it already. So, you know, I didn't read it out because it's a long string of characters. Uh, But you can also go there and see how to join our Slack channel. Check out us on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or all that kind of nonsense. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.